Hey everybody, welcome again to the MLB Extras Nationals podcast. I'm Tim McMaster, as always, joined by Jamal Collier, our Nationals reporter. And as always, Jamal, we're going to start this podcast by talking about Bryce Harper, but we are going to, after that, get into the award season, obviously, with, with the Nationals very much involved in that. But let's start with Harper. There's always something in the news, and kind of the latest thing this week was the fact that it seems like they got close to a maybe a trade back in July with the Houston Astros. You wonder what that would have meant for really both franchises if the Astros maybe could have gotten over the top against Boston with a lineup that had Bryce Harper in the middle of it. But either way, it did not happen. That said, does that, the fact that they were close to trading him, mean anything right now? Uh, as far as their future, you know, and whether or not they can re-sign him, I don't think so. Um, I think that one of the reasons that they did kind of I don't say get cold feet, but the reason they pulled the trigger or did not pull the trigger and and trade him uh, this past July when they did have offers, we've heard now about this Astros offer, we heard about a Dodgers offer. Um, we know other teams, the Dodgers claimed him obviously on waivers. You know, other teams were involved as well, um, kind of asking about the price. But one of the reasons that they did want to, to uh, kind of part ways at that point is that they thought that this offseason there'd be a chance for them to kind of work out a long term deal, and that they were you know, concerned or at least worried about just the optics of trading this guy and then try to bring him back later on and just how that may strain the relationship or whatever. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons they never pulled the trigger there. So do I think the fact that, you know, whether or not Harper knows a deal was on the table or, or not, is that going to really change things? I, I doubt it. I think still, you know, if the contract is right and if the situation is right, that'll kind of be the deciding factor. Um, but it is kind of intriguing to think about just how close. I, I always kind of wondered um, just how close they got or just how you know realistic was Harper playing for another team the last couple months of last season um, I know they had some active talks and some active kind of conversations but to hear you know the terms of the deal and to hear exactly what they had on the table it's just kind of really interesting um, to think about how differently the last couple of months could have played obviously the Astros are a really really good team and, and imagine that Red Sox Astros series in ALCS uh, with Harper in the middle of that lineup um, you know, and, and I guess that that really good Red Sox team that could have been really fun. So I'm kind of disappointed that we didn't get a chance to see that actually. Yeah, maybe that series goes longer than five games for sure. Now Harper obviously uh, turned down the qualifying offer, so um, the Nationals will get compensated in some way if he does uh, end up signing elsewhere. Um, that said, it, we will we will see, and this still seems like something that's going to take some time, certainly, to work itself out with Boris and everything we've talked about over and over again on this podcast, for sure. But just one more wrinkle into things, the fact that he was almost traded, and you think about it from a national standpoint, and I guess it's one of those things, Jamal, that if he does sign elsewhere, I mean, maybe you, you kick yourself a little bit that you didn't trade him when you had the chance. I think that's going to be the the kind of the thing to me that is um, that, that I'm wondering how the Nationals feel about that, especially looking at the prospects that the Astros reportedly had on the table. I mean, those are some pretty good players, and even right. even the fact that the Nets are going to get compensation back, you know, uh, with the qualifying offer, it's going to be pretty much nowhere near. We're talking about a pick somewhere in the mid hundreds after the fourth round. Uh, you know, we're, it's got to be nothing near what they would have gotten, especially the, the the prospect they could have potentially gotten from Houston. And I think that, you know, whether or not they feel that risk was worth it, because I do think, um, you know, as, as much as I do have a window into Bryce's psyche or, or kind of what he's thinking, um, I do think being wanted is something that he, he does value. And I think that, um, you know, if you had traded him a couple of months ago, Sure, if you come come with a very good offer and, and come with four hundred million dollars at this offseason, I think he still would have, you know, I don't think he would have, uh, you know, not been willing to do business. But I think there would have been a little bit of a, a, a bad, you know, feeling here, at least a feeling of kind of cutting ties here. 
Uh, and I think that, um, th you know, whether or not they feel like that goodwill was better in the long run than potentially the prospect upgrade they got, I think is, is kind of just interesting to see how exactly they would balance. But uh, you're right. I mean, even if they're, they're going to get something back, if Harper does decide to go somewhere else uh, because of the qualifying offer, but it's going to pale in comparison to what they potentially could have had on the table um, and what they decide to turn down. Yeah, it's different than the last CBA where you basically got an end of the first round pick. Now it's it's not quite that. Um, one other thing that kind of jumped out a little bit this week, um, we've talked about the Nationals' priorities uh, this offseason, and actually outfield is technically not really one of them because of the depth they have out there, whether or not they have Bryce Harper, but starting pitching in the bullpen and second base. But apparently that's not exactly the way Mike Rizzo and company see it as questioned about it. He, he seems to say it's not a priority second base and that they're really happy with what they have, which is, I guess, Howie Kendrick coming off an injury, Wilmer Defoe, who can get it done defensively, but really hasn't proven he can hit. And then some young guys coming up. How did you take that, those comments from Mike Rizzo? Yeah, I was surprised. Um, on one hand, I, I get it. Um, when you look at just kind of the, 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 we talked about the just a number of needs they have. And a second base is not as big a need as figuring out what to do with Harper. It's not a big as need as starting pitching or as the catcher or as really kind of, you know, fortifying this bullpen. So you look at kind of the list of priorities. I can see why they feel second base is, is not, you know, on the top of that list. And especially if you're thinking about how you want to allocate your money or your assets or whatever it might be. Um, it, it makes sense that you may say you look at second base and think that we can get by, especially when Carter Keyboom and, and Garcia, those guys are, are on the way up in the organization. And, and probably and Carter Keyboom is almost for sure going to make his debut sometime in 2019. They moved him to second base. Uh, he's a shortstop naturally, but they moved him to second base during the Arizona Fall League. He did well over there. I think he uh, you know, was an all-star in the, in the Fall League. So, um, you know, there's a chance that he'll make his debut in the majors this season, if not for sure next season. So do they really want to sign somebody, DJ LeMahieu, for four years and block those guys when you have Trey Turner and him already? Probably not. And I think that, you know, for that reasoning, I get it. And I get why they don't think second base might not be a huge priority. Um, that being said, you're counting a whole, whole lot on Howie Kendrick, who will be 36 next season, coming off an Achilles injury. Uh, an Achilles injury. Uh, and, you know, he's just a guy who now it's been three years since he's played uh, 100 you know, over 115 games, I believe it is, or something. It's playing that kind of, that length of schedule. You know, you can compliment him with Wilmer Defoe, and, and we love Defoe, and he's really exciting, and it kind of gives him really good spurts of energy. Uh, he's basically had two chances the last couple of years to prove that he can play every day, and he's just not hit. And you're talking now the potential of, uh, you know, wearing out Kendrick slash having a dead spot in your lineup, and just really having second base be kind of a really problem spot in your lineup that I think even a stopgap player that you can get in there for a year, Maybe a, a year, two-year deal or something like that. You can have somebody come off the bench once one of your young guys already. Um, one of those veteran guys, to me, makes sense if you can get those guys on some kind of discounted price or some kind of deal, short-term deal here, um, just, to, just to hold over. Because I, I, I can very easily see this being a situation similar to where they were with catcher and are with catcher in, in general right now, where they just – you know, they have guys who they say, okay, they're not bad enough and could probably give us replacement level production, but there's also a very easy scenario to say we can be getting nothing from that position. And I think that to, to just ignore it and then not do anything, whether it's a spring training invite or something, I think would be a little negligent. And I, I, I hope that, you know, potentially for them, if they want to compete in 2019, if they probably, they probably need to find some way to address that second base position um, or hope that Wilmer Defoe takes a huge, huge step forward that nobody kind of really sees right now. 
And maybe by not a priority, it's the fact that, like you said, you can. it's something you can worry about later yeah. and closer to spring training. All right, let's get on to the awards season. Rookie of the year, Juan Soto was a finalist. He finishes second to Acuna Jr. No real surprise there. Maybe one surprise was that uh, it wasn't closer. Acuna, 144 total points, 27 first-place votes out of 30. Soto, two first-place votes. He ended up with 89 points. Walker Bueller, 28 points in, in one first-place vote. Um, did you think it would be closer, Jamal? Yeah, I was surprised, uh, very surprised, kind of how just big. I mean, I'll say this: looking at the kind of the reading around uh, the internet and other baseball writers of the past maybe week or so, where everybody kind of making their Cy Young and, and, and Rookie of the Year predictions and such, uh, everybody was basically said some version of it's a toss up, but Acuna. <laughs> so, I think, right. so I think, like you know, thinking about that, yes, I was not surprised that Acuna won. But um, looking again, the numbers with these guys are so 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 close. The fact that it was 27 first place votes to two um, does really surprise me. Uh, that being said, I think the the defense of Acuna, he had a huge advantage there. And the fact that the Braves made the playoffs, a lot of which you know can be attributed to him because of how good he was in the second half and down the stretch and in September, um, that I think that that was probably the biggest tipping point. And, and it's taking nothing away from Soto. We're still gonna, talking about one of, if not the best teenage season in MLB history. And I think that that is going to be something that's going to last you know, still forever, whether or not he has the rookie of the year kind of honors by his name. But uh, yeah, I, I was pretty surprised that the, the margin was as, as big as it was because it seemed like these guys were really a kind of a coin flip uh, based on which guy you liked. I think the in people's minds and the voters' minds, it probably was that close, but then they all kind of decided that Acuna was the slight edge, and that's why the, the, edge, the votes yeah. didn't really add up to be that close. Okay, so great rookie season, a year in which he started the season, and maybe people <laughs> forget this, in low A ball, and then went to high A, advanced, and then ended up in double A, and zipped through that in about a month, and then he was in the major leagues. An amazing meteoric rise to the big leagues, and then he finished his second it's still sort of absurd. Even when I, you know, I, I li- I've lived through it. I wrote about it. I've li- <laughs> lived to it there. It's just like, man, this, this, this first, his first game this season, I believe, was against the Rome Braves. I remember writing this maybe four months ago. <laughs> and it's just absurd to think about. He played against the Rome Braves in April, and by the end of the year, he you know, had the most homers by a teenager or second most homers by a teenager ever. <laughs> so, so how does he get better, Jamal? What's the yeah. next step for Juan Soto? I think defensively is a very clear, you know, spot for him. Uh, he, he was not a very good defender. He's not a left fielder. He played mostly right field in the minors, and obviously that was kind of not an option uh, for him coming up. And of course, they even moved Bryce Harper to center field anyway. But um, you know, having him in left field, uh, he, it was an, just, an adjustment there, and I think he got more comfortable as the season went on, but necessarily didn't translate a whole lot of time to just better results. So I think you know, being better defensively is going to be a big thing for him, and it's something that he prides himself on on trying to improve. Um, you know, he, his base running, he's, he had a couple of kind of sprints there where, you know, he would steal a base or he would take an extra base and he would kind of just read something off the pitcher. I think that those little intangibles are big, um, that, that, you know, he could probably still kind of take himself to the next level to become, you know, for right now, a three or four win player, or even a, a five, six, uh, or more win player. But, um, you know, at, at the plate and offensively right now, though, I mean, I, I can't find a, a, a uh, anybody, a coach or a scout or anybody to, to say that, oh, here's a hole in his swing. Because every time that they think they see one, think they've identified something that, you know, potentially could be exploited, he pretty much closes it up and fixes it you know, virtually right away. Um, so offensively, he is, uh, I believe Kevin Long said that 
his swing is as good as anybody he's ever been around. And, you know, Kevin Long is a hitting coach. He's been with the Yankees forever. You know, A-Rod, uh, Bryce Harper, obviously, he's still been around. He's been around so many really, really good hitters throughout his career. To hear that, you know, kind of comparison, um, I thought was just always kind of one of the bigger compliments, one of the biggest compliments to say that I, I don't have a whole lot to really teach this guy. He's got it figured out. And every time he falters he figures it out <laughs> kind of in his own anyway so uh you know i'm really excited to see kind of where soto's career is going to go and just how um you know like i said just what is his ceiling and then how good can he potentially be going forward all right and then the other award max scherzer up for the cy young award he falls short of winning his third straight it also would have been his fourth in six years including one in the american league i mean impressive stuff obviously from scherzer he doesn't get the cy young award but he still led the league in wins complete game shutouts innings pitched strikeouts where he got 300 for the first time um not a cy young jamal but this guy certainly is not slowing down um what impressed you the most about him this year maybe that was different than the past i mean it's 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 you can take your pick <laughs> with this guy i mean it, it is just really really impressive i mean every year he very much makes it a point to to talk about how he wants to get better. It, I'll say this: he does not talk about how he wants to get better, but he does say that I want to get better for next year. And a lot of that um, kind of sounds almost sounds like lip service, or you know, you hear players all the time talk about you know you want to get better every year, and you know, not getting better, blah blah blah, and kind of those the cliches they go into. Max has found a way, even at thirty four, after winning two Cy Youngs, to pretty much do that, and to pretty much continue to find new ways to be tweaking uh to be constantly tinkering with whatever it is to continue to to to, to build on what he's already got and you're talking about a guy who right now is you know not the best or one of the couple best pitchers uh, in the game and to, to reach 300 strikeouts this year that number is still five guys since 2001 have have reached that and strikeouts are up and we keep you know we talk a lot about strikeouts and everybody bemoans how much people are striking out but that's not a number that people reach <laughs> you know and to get there to be constantly throwing 200 innings to be healthy to be taking the ball your fifth day to be going deep in the games and flirting with no hitters i mean it is it's just really 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 impressive to think about the body of work that he's put together pretty much since he signed his contract at dc and just over the last you know, a couple of years here in his career. Uh, it's, it's truly fun and special to watch this guy who's putting together this Hall of Fame resume kind of in front of my eyes. Um, regardless of falling short of the Cy Young this year, it's, it's, it's uh, just incredible that, you know, he was even this close. And it took a, a historic ERA run by Jacob deGrom just to, just to kind of beat him. Uh, so, you know, Max is, is, is you know, always impressive and continually getting better. Um, and it's just a joy to watch. Yep, another incredible season for Max Scherzer for sure. Uh, now they just got to add some pieces around him. That's the next step is to, to fill out the rest of that rotation, and we will have most of the offseason to talk about those decisions as well. That'll do it for this edition of the MLB Extras Nationals podcast. For Jamal Collier, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in, everyone.